Welcome to worship at Providence Presbyterian Church on this Sunday, June 21st, 2020. We are located at 2401 Broad Avenue. Next Sunday, June 28th, we will be restarting worship services in our church sanctuary. We will be observing our summer worship schedule with no Sunday school. Worship will be at 9.30 a.m. There will be no children's chat, junior church, or nursery at this time. Details regarding the reopening of worship are going out to everyone by email or a hard copy letter. For those of you who do not feel comfortable attending church yet or have underlying health concerns, we would like to remind you that our podcast will still be available on the website www.providencepc-altoona.org as well as on the phone at 1-857-385-7521. Check out the church's face page for this week's recorded children's message. Once again, we thank those of you who are financially able to mail your offerings to the church at this time. It truly is a blessing in enabling us to keep current in paying church expenses. Also, anyone who has any kind of need, groceries, financial help, or otherwise, please contact the church office and we will see what we can do to help meet your needs. Now, let us prepare our hearts for worship as we listen to the prelude.
Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, your steadfast love abides with your people in every age. You teach us to trust in you and call us to live in peace with one another. Show us the way to live grateful lives without fear, knowing that the true worth of your creation, including ourselves, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us 
who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. I believe that most everybody who's listening to me today is familiar with the story of the prodigal son, how the younger son twisted his father's arm for his share of the property and then goes off and spends it all and comes home thinking he's in other disgrace. Then to his astonishment, he finds his father running down the road to meet him and throwing a huge party in his honor. He is welcomed back as a son, even though he doesn't deserve it, and even though his older brother grumbles. Now, come forward a year or two, and imagine a thought stealing unbidden into the young man's mind. Life has settled down to a reasonably humdrum existence again. His older brother tolerates having him around, more or less. His father is getting older. He remembers with a happy sigh of the day he came up the road and his father came running to greet him. And he thinks, supposing I did it again, why not help myself to enough things to survive, run away for a few weeks, and then play the penitent and come back again? Maybe I'll get another party. Absurd, you think? Unthinkable? Don't believe it. It's exactly what a great many people think. And it is to this that the Apostle Paul is writing here in the sixth chapter of Romans. He puts it in this way, what shall we say then? Or, well, what's that mean? And then he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And responds, by no means, or you could put it in the vernacular, you got to be kidding. And he goes on to talk about how we who are in Christ have died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? And he goes in to talk about baptism. Now, the Apostle Paul often referred to his Bible, which is to us the Old Testament. And in chapter 4 of Romans, he talks about Genesis and the call of Abraham and his faith. And then now here in chapter 6, he moves to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus records the people of Israel's slavery, their bondage to the power of, of Egypt, their slavery in Egypt, and how God sends Moses to deliver them from their slavery. And as they follow Moses out of Egypt, 
they have to pass through the Red Sea to reach the other side and then begin their journey to the promised land that God had long promised them. Now, Paul is saying here that as the people of Israel passed through the Red Sea following Moses, and Moses went through the Red Sea, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they drowned. So he's saying that we as Christians, and this is symbolized by our act of baptism when we are baptized, even as infants or as adults, is symbolized by baptism. Baptism actually doesn't do it, the physical act, but it symbolizes a reality. The reality is that we have gone from bondage, from slavery to sin to freedom in Christ. We pass through the waters following Christ. We pass through the waters onto the other side, leaving our slavery behind. Now, part of the problem was as the Israelites traveled through the wilderness to the promised land, they kept talking about returning to Egypt, returning to slavery. But they didn't have to. They had been set free. So too, and baptism symbolizes the fact that we were slaves to sin. We could not help ourselves. We had to sin because that was our nature. But Christ came and he died on the cross and he died to sin and the power of sin though, so that we, as he was risen to new life, we no longer are under the power of sin. Does that mean we can sin? Yes, we can sin even as the children of Israel often continued to sin after they crossed the Red Sea. But they didn't have to sin, and no longer do we have to sin. We have been given new life in Christ. We have been given freedom from the power of sin. So the, the apostle here goes on and talks about this, and he says, if we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery or control over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you know, we don't have to sin. We often do sin. The day will come when Christ returns. We die or Christ returns and we will no longer be able to sin. And Paul continues to bring this out in chapters 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. But for here in Romans 6, 1 through 11, he's saying that we are dead to sin. And he says here in verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Some of the older English translations puts it there in the same way, reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To reckon. Now, when we often hear the word reckon, we think of, oh, we are to imagine ourselves dead to sin. That's not saying we really are dead to sin. We are just to imagine ourselves. We are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. But that's not what Paul is saying here. The word he uses for reckon, or in the NIV, count, is an accounting term. You know, in accounting, you know, if an accountant looks over our finances and he says we have X number of dollars in the bank or in our investments, it's not that, well, that's what he imagines we have. 
That's what he would like us to have or what we'd like us to have. That's what we actually have in the bank. That's ours to call upon, ours to do with. He accounts it so, and so in the same way, we are to account, we are to know beyond a reasonable doubt that we are dead to the power of sin, but alive to new life in God through Christ Jesus. Um, a story that I've heard a number of years ago explains this very well. Think of yourself as living in an apartment house. You live there under a landlord who has made your life miserable. He charges you exorbitant rent, and when you can't pay, he loans you the money at a fearful rate of interest to get you even deeper into his debt. He barges into your apartment at all hours of the day and night. He wrecks and dirties the place up and then charges you extra for not maintaining the premises. He berates you and shouts at you and calls you all sorts of nasty things. Your life is miserable. Then comes someone to your door who says, I have taken over this apartment house. I've purchased it. You can live here as long as you like, free. The rent is paid up. I'm going to be living here with you in the manager's apartment. What a joy. You are saved. You are delivered out of the clutches of the old landlord. For a few days, everything is great. But what happens? You've hardly had time to rejoice in your newfound freedom when there comes the old pounding on the door. And there he is, the old landlord, mean and demanding as ever. He has come for the rent, he says. What do you do? Do you pay him? Of course you don't. Do you go out, go off and punch him on the nose? No, he's bigger and stronger than you are. What you confidently do is tell him you have, you have to take it up with the new landlord. He may bellow, threaten, and cajole, but just you quietly just tell him, take it up with the new landlord. If he comes back a dozen times with all sorts of threats and arguments, waving legal-looking documents in your face, you simply tell him once again, take it up with the new landlord. In the end, he has to. He knows it, too. He just hopes that he can bluff and threaten you and deceive you into doubting that the new landlord is really taking care of things. Now that's the situation for us Christians. Once we have come to Christ, once we have put our trust in him, once we have been baptized into Christ, Christ has delivered us from the power of sin and the devil. And you can depend, you can count on it. But soon the old landlord, the devil, Satan, will be coming back knocking at your door. And he's going to try to convince you, and many times we fall for his, his line, tries to convince you you have to sin, you can't help but he, he tempts you, he cajoles you, he does all sorts of things saying, oh, you can't resist this, you know you always give, and you know you always do this. What's your defense? Do you keep him from, how do you keep him from getting the whip hand over you once again? You send him to the new landlord. You send him to Jesus. You know that Jesus can be counted on to make it so you don't have to give in to sin. And to him be the glory and honor, both now and forevermore. 
let us prepare our hearts for prayer. God of our ancestors, you are the God of our future. You showed mercy to Hagar and Ishmael in the desert, just as you answered Sarah's laughter with Isaac's birth. We pray that you will heal the, death, the deadly divisions between all peoples on the earth today. We pray that the Church of Jesus Christ will be so filled with the Holy Spirit, so committed to the head of the Church, that we will have Christ's mind among us. May the sword of the word pierce our hearts and give us compassion for a suffering world. We pray for world leaders and diplomats who seek to make peace among nations. May their success be measured in generations who live free from the fear of war. We pray for medical professionals committed to healing, especially those in areas of poverty or violence. May they be guided and guarded by the Spirit who lifts up the brokenhearted and even raises the dead. We pray for teachers, school staff and administrators, and students, especially those in high-risk communities. May they find strength in you to reach beyond themselves and so embrace the future with the hope that you are holding out for them. We pray for your promised kingdom to come when all wars will cease and there will be no disease when courageous faith, hope, and love cast out hatred and poverty. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and Friend. Now let us join in that prayer he gave us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now go with the God of Hagar and Sarah. Bear witness to Christ of sword and sparrow. Live in the spirit in whom you were baptized. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The God of all mercy, who answers the cries of the helpless and raises you from death, keep you safe in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us today. We hope you have been blessed and God has been glorified. May you have a God-blessed week. We look forward to you joining us again next Sunday and invite your friends to listen.